this format is something I derived over the years as a guideline to how I order my life. Okay, it takes preparation, commitment, loyalty, training, structure, discipline, consistency, focus, endurance, and uh, determination. And you say, that's a lot. Well, if you are in love with the God of the universe who died on the cross, this should be nothing. Because you do this for work, for money, and we should do it because we love the Lord and he gave his life for us. So that's how I look at it. Now, I do that when I worked, too. So, I mean, double barrel, it works. So, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul's writing to Timothy, and it's his swan song. He's getting ready to be sacrificed. So, Paul's a type A personality. Timothy's a type B. If you read through the books you would think that Timothy was in prison, okay, and Paul was pastoring the church. Because Timothy was a nervous wreck because the older people didn't respect his youth. He told him to take a little something to calm your nerves and your stomach. And, and Paul had to constantly encourage him. Now, Paul mentored him. He calls him his son in the faith. So the gravity of this book, and especially this chapter, is he's challenging Timothy for the journey that he's taking without Paul. He said, I'll be soon gone. So Timothy, you need to get this. So in verse 1, he said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Now, what grace? You know Paul's encounter with grace? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Someone want to? Huh? No, this is when you're weak. I'm str you're strong. He says, I, the thorn in the flesh. And he said, uh, I've given you a thorn in the flesh, draw you close to me. He says, when you're weak, I will make you strong by my grace. Okay? So Paul, if you look at that, okay, and, and, and look at it, he's telling Timothy what he experienced. The grace of God was sufficient for Paul to do all that God told him to do. Everything. And now he's saying, Timothy, this grace that God used to help me do what I did for the Lord, mentor you, got you the church at Ephesus, this grace is available to you. It came through me to you, but now you go right to headquarters. You go, God will give it to you. You're going to need it, the pastor this church. So then he talks to him about the scripture for discipleship or mentoring. He says, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit you to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
I was, I was in the ministry for around 25 years. And I was given to mentoring. I, I just spent a lot of time. It was a gift God gave me. And by golly, I got frustrated so many times. I was just... So this older man, um, just forgot it, Bill Knapps in Michigan, um, it'll come to me. And he says, why do you waste your time? I said, what do you mean? And he went through this verse. He said, why don't you spend your time with faithful men who will follow what I taught you, what you now know and are teaching others, so they could teach others. And really, that's the Great Commission, you know, whether you believe it or not. We're supposed to go in the world, preach the gospel, teaching. And that's how the early church grew. So I learned I had to be discreet in who I would spend the time with to mentor. Because if they don't take it as serious as me, I'm wasting my time. And if they come up with reasons, he mentors overcome. And we're going to see some of this. And regardless, the, the quest goes on. It just goes on. And my class I called overcomers class. Crossroads is every time you hear preaching, you're at a crossroads in your life. You're either going to change and go God's way or continue unchanged to be who you are. In order to be what God wants us to be, we have to overcome. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And if you read 1 John chapter 4 and 5, he says, we were made to be overcomers. So another section of scripture, but nevertheless, the point well made. Now, he uses three metaphors to set this up. In verse 3, he says, thou Therefore, endure the hardness of a good soldier. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, in this real study, I'll go through that in detail. But the principle is this. He says the soldier. How many, anybody here in, in the military? Okay. Um, when you were in the military, were you more concerned about civilian life or military life? Okay, they didn't tell you not to associate with civilians, but they say, you know who butters your bread, right? When I tell you something, soldier, you, you stand, you do it, and seeing you do it my way. So if you weren't in the military, you may not understand this. But what he's saying, when you are in the military, your commander-in-chief is the one you listen to, no one else. And he says, don't get entangled with civilian life. It doesn't say that you shouldn't be sociable and nice and all that, but when you get up every day, you know who butters your bread. Okay, the Christian's supposed to be that way. In other words, every morning you start off in communication with the commander-in-chief. And you take orders from him. The Word of God says how we should live and how we should speak, and what we should do and what we shouldn't. That should be the main priority. So he says, Timothy, that's the only way you're going to make it. Because you can't survive without the grace of God. 
the next verse, 5, he talks about the athlete. He said, the athlete, and if a man is also strived for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? The point is, there's no shortcuts to success. You know, there's no shortcuts. You can train for a race. And part of the training is the pain of it. When you run a marathon, you don't go out and run a 26-mile marathon the first time out. You know, you could run a half a mile, a mile, and say, okay, I'm ready for 26. No, you're not. You have to prepare. You have to know the rules because you may finish first in a race, but it doesn't mean you won. They have spotters. You have to go by the rules. And what Paul is saying, there's rules in God's Word. Okay, and here's one I use all the time. It's God's work, God's way, to accomplish God's will for God's glory. If we're serving Christ, when I was in church work, pastor of the church, I'd tell my guys, this is what we do, this is how we're going to do it. Okay, so let's do it. And they say, Fraser, you sure it's going to work? I said, trust me, it works. Someone would come back and said, it doesn't work. I said, what do you mean it doesn't work? I said, did you do what I said? They said, kind of. Uh, we've done this for years, so we did the way we're used to doing it. And I said, that's why it didn't work. I said, unless you follow God's blueprint, you're playing charades. See, Paul said, I'll come to you with, the, like my interpretation, the paddle and give you a whooping, or I'll come in the power of God. See, when Jesus spoke... He spoke with authority because he represented who he is, the Word. When people speak the Word of God, if you're living the Word of God, you speak them from experience, not knowledge. And when you've experienced, we'll say forgiveness. Nobody knows how to teach you how to forgive because you've done it. And you felt the liberation from it. You know, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When you forgive, it's the same freedom you experience. Because you can hold grudges against people. Don't hurt them. They don't care. They, you know, they're living their lives and all that. You're the one in prison. Amen. So if we abide by, like, like he says here, he's setting them up for a life without himself but with God. So we play by the rules. Well, I don't know the rules. Well, you need to know the rules. You know, I get on my class. We're an older group, and I ask them, I say, when are you going to memorize Scripture? Huh? When are you going to start memorizing Scripture? I mean, you're farther up the, low, the road. I mean, you've lived longer than you're going to live. When are we going to do it? Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand that. The only reason I say that the way you memorize scriptures, you read the Bible again and again and again and again with purpose. 
And then things become familiar to you. I, I, I come across it someplace. But you just read and try to memorize a verse. You're wasting your time. Because every scripture, every verse is in the context. It teaches something. So what, what has to take place is, I don't know, how many of you had fathers that were disciplinarians? Holy smokes. Yeah, that's true. I had to memorize what my father said, because if I didn't, I'll tell you, you sit in, I had to lay on my side for a while. So it behooved me when Dad spoke, I'm all ears. I found that an interesting parallel that God says, when I speak, listen. He don't wish or hope. When they went into the promised land, Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 11. He says, if you go to the land and obey me, I'll bless you beyond your imagination. And if you don't, I'll curse you like you've never been cursed before. Well, God's a God of love. Yeah, okay, but why don't you get to know him instead of reading the scriptures a little bit? He said, thou shalt have no gods before me. And, and in the land, he said, obey me. Teach your children the word. It, it's, all, it's all there. And we do the same thing. We're casual Christians. You know, we just, well, you know, the spirit moves. God loves me. God wants me to be happy. He wants you to be happy. Give me a verse. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be obedient. So if we're going to take and live this life, the next one is the farmer. The farmer. And what you get from the soldier is discipline. What you get from the runner, the athlete, is training. And what you get from the farmer is structure. Farmer cannot farm without structure. Because there's a time for everything and a place to be for everything. And if you don't have that structure, you're not going to be a farmer. It's not going to work. So Paul metaphorically tells Timothy, you need to be disciplined. You need to train for the job ministry, and you need to do everything with purpose, structure. So, a little sidestep here. So, I went on and developed those hidden principles. In other words, it's not said, but it's implied by the teaching. And I added some more to it. I got scripture for all of it. The scriptures you have there will speak about the topic. But I've taken another route because of the time we have tonight and the orientation. You know, you're not familiar with me and uh, my, my class is. So he closes it. Now pay attention. He said, Timothy, in all I told you, he says, consider what I say and the Lord will give thee understanding 
in all things. So you don't get the understanding until you do it God's way. God's work, God's way. God's will. For God's glory, then you say, I got it. See, there's no room for you. There's no room for you because when you look in the Bible, the Bible says we're slaves. And Paul said he was a slave to Christ. So a slave works for a master. The slave has no will but to do what his master says. So if we take that metaphor slave, look at servant, look at the, uh, the uh, master, the master is consumed with his will. And it would be wise for the servant to acquiesce or be familiar with it. See, in America, you know, we've lost in touch with God. Because we think God's our servant. I need this. Okay. I ate, hey, Lord. You know, when you pray, how much is it about you? All of it? When God, you live for the Lord and he brings things into your life, don't we need to say, Lord, help me through it? God didn't take the thorn of the flesh away from Paul. He said, I petitioned God three times. And God said, yo. I'm not taking it away from you. And he said, why? He says, Paul, little inserted drama here. I saved you for a purpose. Remember when Paul got saved? Damascus Road, he fell to the ground, and, he, and Jesus said, Paul, Paul, why did you persecute me? And then Paul said, who are you? <laughs> you know, like, he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. You know the next thing out of his mouth? Lord, what would thou have me to do? When was the last time you said that? See, God wants us to live for him. So now Paul is in ministry, and he's got a very vital part because he's going to be the missionary to the Gentiles. So God says, Jesus says, uh, you're going to need my grace to do my work. And you are strong in many areas. That's how I made you. But in the areas that you need to serve me that you're not used to, when you're weak, I'll make you strong. Whew. So when I was pastoring, people would always tell me what they can't do. I said, why don't you tell me what you are willing to do or can do? Well, and here it comes. Heinz 57. The point is this. The only limitations God has are the ones you place on him. 
You could, you could do whatever you, you could pray, you could fast, you could give half your pay, uh, join the church and all. But if, if you don't live for him, it means nothing. Read Luke, this thing. Better watch my gestures. Stay close to home, amen? In Luke 14, 26, Jesus said, if you don't love me more than your mother, father, grandmother, well, let's face it, let's cut to the quick, more than yourself, you have no parts of me. In verse 27 of Luke 14, he says, unless you die to yourself, that's the cross, carry a cross there, it's a symbol of death, you can't follow me, you can't possibly follow me. If I was to ask you who you love the most, you'll have to say yourself. I love my wife. Been married 53 years. Is that right? Be 54, sir. Somebody gets a trophy. And I realized I couldn't love her like God wanted me to until I gave God my will. See, every argument, test it, ready? Any argument you've ever had, whether it's your wife, your kids, your neighbors, your boss, I promise you, it was the clash of wills. If you give your will to Christ and say, Lord, I want to live your will, what's there to argue about? You guys Baptists. There you go. Hey, man, you're alive. You're paying attention. Hey, man. The point is this. We, we're, we're so in love with ourselves that we pilot our lives and we place Jesus as the co-pilot. Uh, if I need anything, Jesus, I'll let you know, okay? And I expect you to deliver. Really? Did you ever fly in a plane? Who you want driving a plane, a co-pilot or a pilot? I want the pilot. So the crossroads is when you hear the teaching of the Word of God, you either let it work on you and you start moving up the cross toward Christ, or you keep going. You take a hiccup, a burp, and say, okay, I went to church. And nothing changes. I can't tell you why. You're either not saved or you're so in love with yourself, you're carnal. I don't know anything else. Maybe you can help me. So when we get to this, he says, consider this, Timothy. In other words, he's not saying, well, give it a thought. He's saying, give deep thought and meditation to this, Timothy or you won't be able to do the ministry without my influence, because that's what I had to do. So I tried to relate to this, and I come up with Proverbs, I think it's 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. What's next? Thank you. 
Don't try to figure it out. Lean not to your own understanding, because in Isaiah 55, God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not yours. My ways and thoughts are far above yours. So be glad to receive them. And he says, lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. In other words, live for him and not yourself. You know what the mind of Christ is? Did you ever think about that? Not my will, but thy will be done. So I'd like to have the mind of Christ. It's what you want, Lord, not me. So with that backdrop, now comes the insertion of these principles. Number one, preparation. If you know Hebrews 12.1, it's talking about one who's going to run the race and shed baggage and sin that so easily trips us up. The Greek word trips you or entangles you. Any of you guys, any of you guys run? I used to. <laughs> I, I can't imagine a more aggravating thing than running and, the, and somebody's dog comes out and starts gnawing at your legs and, uh, you know, where things get in your way, break your stride. And, and what, what, what he's teaching in Hebrews, he says, remove that which is an obstacle and shed all the extra weight. In other words, you can't run for me being burdened down with anything but what I wanted. That goes with Luke 14 and others. So preparation, three things. Research, homework, and a game plan. Game plan. When my kids first got married, and we'd go over and visit them, my, my, my daughter-in-law, uh, they, were, <laughs> they were a nervous wreck. And my, my kids would say, Dad, why do you always have to sit down and have a game plan when we visit you? I said, well, there's some things I want to accomplish while you're here, because you're in Tennessee. I'm over here. You dig it? You know what I mean? And when I come and see you, I don't want to sit there and drink iced tea. Let's have a game plan. Well, they love it now. You know, Pop's coming. Okay, what are we going to do, Pop? You know, and they, we go through all these different things. Listen, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Amen. Yeah, amen. So you have to have an approach to God. Yeah, my class has heard this to nausea, but, you know, when I, got, when I passed in my church, I had the older people come up and say, Pastor, I read through the Bible 32 times. So many said it, I got frustrated. Because nobody in a pew acted like they knew God. Or the scriptures. Or would pray. Or would read scripture. So at one time, the unfortunate person come up and said, you know, Pastor, I read the Bible through every year. 
I said, well, great. He said, I've read through the Bible 56 times. I said, great. He said, did you learn anything? I was very docile. Listen, I don't care how many times we read the Bible. You're not doing God a favor. If you don't read with purpose, you're not doing anything. And I'll guarantee you, everything you do, you should have a purpose for. Ladies, how many, how many made dinner tonight? Did you have a plan? Did you fulfill your purpose? Was there any preparation needed? See, so you can't make this up. It's in everything we do. It can't be helter-skelter. Chicken home from work. Hey, hon, how you doing? Had a rough day? Had a rough day, too. What are we eating? I don't know. Let's go out to eat. And that's really good for the budget. I'm giving her a break. Why don't we give your finances a break and don't cry out to God that you don't have enough? Stewardship. Planning. Commitment. Have a cause and have a purpose. Remember when David went to, to, to the Israelites and the king, uh, the king, the giant was there? He said, is there not a cause? I mean, you're military. What are you doing here? What would you come here for? You don't look at the enemy. You look at your God. He said, the battle is the Lord's. What is the purpose for us being here? To be afraid? To God. Well, to glorify God, but to, your God is greater than that giant. And the little kid had to prove to uh, <laughs> brave and hardy and men of God, soldiers. Really? The uniform don't make the man. Amen. So have a cause and a purpose. And what made it motivate you to do it? In other words, why are you doing this? My brother and I are the only two people in the world that I know that could tell you how much each meal costs that you eat every night. You say, what do you mean? Well, uh, if we had chicken tonight, okay, I know what it cost. I cut it up. I made meals out of it. And the meals I got, say 20, I divided by the cost of the meat. And it tells me how many portions. Pretty cool. Our average meal at night cost us about $1.37, between $1.37 and $1.80. So why would I go out to eat? I took my wife out this afternoon to splurge. We split a meal. Cost me $23. Now here's Tony Raffer's thinking. That's about four meals. You see what I'm saying? Then you become stewards. Why you do this? 
because the purpose is so I can be a better steward of what God gives me in all areas. It's too much trouble. Hey, Lord, I don't appreciate what you gave me. I need more, so give me more, okay? I like these guys on TV. They say, you pray, and God will take away your debt. You know why that's not true? I don't know why. If he takes away the debt, what's stopping you from making it again? If you're a drunk, you can't get fixed unless you recognize and say, I'm a drunk. And now you've got a starting point. If you spend yourself into wherever that place is, and God comes with his magic wand, just like these guys preach, they don't have a conscience. God's going to relieve your debt, and God's going to do this. You know, God can't do that. It's against who he is. He don't reward sin. He don't reward uh, gluttony. He don't reward overspending for menial, th uh, menial things and all. You know, we have to practice stewardship. We get out of debt, hell, by being stewards of what God gives us, and you'll be surprised what you have when it's left. I dealt with a couple about a year ago. We went through this, and they, they ended up they lived on one income and banked the other one. So how do you do that? I don't know. Ask them. Who are they? That's for me to know and you to find out. The point is, it can be done. It can be done. Stewardship. But see, we're too in love with ourselves. I deserve this. I deserve a night out. I deserve this. Well, okay. Give me chapter and verse for that, and I'll do it with you. Look at it. Time's fleeting. Loyalty. Loyalty. Loyalty is the faithness to do what's right and count the cost of what it's going to take. In other words, there's no shortcuts to prepare for competition or life. There is none. It is God's work. God's way, for God's will, then God's glory. Amen. You see, when you live for him, your life is totally different. When you live for yourself, your life is totally different. I'll take the former rather than the latter. Training, fitness, to know what it's going to take to compete and win. You know, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 5, and 6, I think it is. Paul says, don't you know that those who run, run to win? So prepare so you can win. And we believe in this country, you just have to compete. You don't have to win. You know, hey, you know, they're having fun, you know. Why look down upon the underachievers? You know, everybody, see? No. When I was pastoring, I used to have people say, you know what, pastor, your kids are bombshells. I said, they are? They said, yeah, you're really unruly. I said, I am. I said, why? They said, you expect too much of your kids. 
I said, how's that go? As it goes again. I said, how's that work? They said, you just expect too much of them. I said, well, let me tell you this. If you expect six from your kids and they fall short, you're mediocre at best. I said, I expect my kids to shoot and score 10. And if they miss 10, I'll take an eight over a four. Amen? Amen. Yeah. We're too soft. We're going the way of the world. We want people to do things for us, pity us. How many, how many like pampering? <laughs> Can you give me a chapter and verse for that? You see what I'm saying? We get caught up in all this emotional stuff, and we, we Christianize it. God wants me to be happy. No, he don't. He wants you to be holy. Amen. And besides, happiness is, is conditions-based. Hey, I did whatever. We went to Disney World. Hey, I'm happy. Joy is different. Joy is not affected by anything we do here on earth. Joy is the relationship we have with Christ. That's joy. Joy is how much my wife loves me, right? Okay, we do this in class all the time. But the point is, it's a joy when a person gives themselves to you because they love you. That's not happiness. See, that's a gift from God. That's joy. So we need to live with purpose. We need to live and try to win. We need to win by being overcomers instead of underachievers. We need to love our God. The provisions are there. The Spirit of God's within us. The Word of God is before us. Why should we be average? God don't want you to be average. He's got too much invested in you. That's what they say. They say, Pastor, why were you so hard on your kids? I said, because I love them. He said, well, we're not hard on our kids. We want them to love us. I said, they won't. Why? You didn't teach him right from wrong. You didn't teach him the difference. I told my grandson, he wanted to start a lawn business. He was 14. I said, Dominic, give me the definition for excellence. And he did. I said, the definition of excellence is doing the ordinary in an extraordinary way. In four years, he built a business. He made 60, 70 grand a year, bought his own equipment. So I said, Don, what's the definition of excellence? He told me. No mohawks. No cut grass on the walkways. I said, Don, when you get done with a lawn, people go like this. That's good stuff, man. I got a neighbor. See, your work stands out more than anybody else's. And in my day, they used to teach you, give God your best, you do your best, be your best, because God gave that for you. 
You heard I preached much? Okay, I got to wrap this up. Structure, well, training. Structure. Structure, very quickly, how to prepare, the what, the why, and when I should do different things. You know, a lot of people say, uh, I have a hard time having devotions in the morning. What happened in the evening? They say, well, it's hard for me because, okay, well, why don't you tell me when you can? So we're saying, Lord, I love you, but you've got to stand in line. Really? I don't have time. Well, you've got time to go to work. You've got time to shop. You got to, yeah, okay. You have time to raise your kids, but you don't. Then you pray to God, they'll be good. What's that going to come from, osmosis? You see what I mean? We, we, we are so foolish in many ways because we've got too much of the world's philosophy in us. We've got to be in the book more. We've got to be in the Bible more. We've got to read more. Lord, what would they have me to do? I, I, I've learned to pray as an old man here. I say, Lord, help them, help them my unbelief. I need more to believe you at my age. You know, I, I've, I've got uh, arthritis. I've got all these different things wrong with me, but I still get up and go. And I said, Lord, increase my belief so I can serve you more. And serve my wife more. And serve my neighbor. Instead of saying, oh, I can't do oh, you know. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you serve. Yourself or God. Discipline. You get disciplined by repetition. Consistency. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, it says, do things decently in order. In other words, do it properly in an organized way. You know, when I was pastor, you know, some of the, some of the people would say, don't, don't pop in on us. Let me know when you're coming. So my house is a mess. I said, you don't have to clean it up for me. I said, Jesus lives with you every day. The point is, if you have order in your life and you're, and you're given to excellence, then you'll do things in an extraordinary way, regardless of how small it is. And you'll do it in an orderly fashion so you develop consistency. That's how you win races. Focus. Focus. Avoid distractions. Avoid distractions. I always would tell people this. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. And don't look back. How many of you guys are football fans? Two? <laughs> what an unusual class. <laughs> when a running back breaks the line of scrimmage, does he go like this? He's goal line bound, man. You don't look back. Jesus said you can't plow a field looking back. See, the principle is, I delivered you from that. Now go forward in me and overcome all that stuff so you could be a child of mine. You'll be an overcomer instead of under the circumstances. So I'm going to wrap this up.
along the way, you got to focus. I, I, you know, what I do is I pray. I give myself to Christ every day, and I always teach. You know, pray three times a day minimum, and always check and make sure you're in the will of God at the moment. Because during the day, stuff happens. But if you don't check your course, I was in the Navy, and where's Tyler when I need him? Tyler was the quartermaster. You know why they have two watch before and aft? So you don't get off course. If you travel 1,000 miles and you're two degrees off course, you'll be 500 miles off course. That's how we are in our lives. You've got to check all the time that you're doing what God wants you to do. Because by nature, I serve me. But there's no room for you in my life unless I give my will to God. And then I can live for even my neighbor's dog come over and do-do. If I'm living for me, I'm on his case. If I do it for the Lord, I pick it up, and he sees me. He says, I'm sorry, you don't have to do that. That's okay, Kevin. Just put on a leash next time or something, okay? See, in Christ, I can love my neighbor. Left to myself, we got issues. That's how you overcome. Focus. And then endurance, persistence, strength, and stamina under endurance. And at the end, overcome obstacles, determination to win. I'm going to close with this saying. It's not mine. It's a quote. It's not over when you fail or fall short. Amen. It's over when you quit. That's right. How many of us say, I'm going to read the Bible and all, and for some reason you stop and all, and you say, I failed and all. You didn't fail until you quit, and you stop reading it. Get up and start again. And correct your mistakes. Eliminate your distractions, and I guarantee you, you'll pass the finish line because you're committed to it.